Uh, let's go ahead and get started with a uh, word of prayer. Uh, Joe, would you mind uh, opening prayer tonight? Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for this day, and thank you, Lord, for Mark being here, that he has studied the Word of God, and really shared the Word with us. And we thank you, Lord, for the people that are here, and we bless those that are not. Uh, keep everyone safe and uh, with health and in safe travels back home. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Okay, we are on page 17 tonight, and tonight and probably next week together, we will be discussing the uh, identity and features of all of the respective dispensations in Scripture. So let's do just a little bit of review. What's a dispensation, first of all? It's a house... What, what is it? Okay, okay. So it's a house rule. It's a period of... Um, one house rule that has a particular set of house rules. Okay. Yeah, so the word we used was an administration. A house rule is literally what the word is in Greek, etymologically. It's an administration. And what did we say were necessary to have a dispensation? What are the features requisite to say we've gone from one dispensation to the next? What did we say? There has to be new rules. Okay, new rules in the form of new revelation. new revelation. And it's a new administrative structures. Okay, some sort of a structure uh, that would uh, say we're doing things differently in some sense. Uh, we have new promises for. also? Um, there usually are promises associated with it. Uh, just because of the uh, because of the nature of things, that okay. if you do this, then this will happen. So usually, usually at the beginning of each of the dispensations, we have a covenant of some sort. We'll talk about the covenants after we talk about the dispensations, and and usually we find a covenant. Not always, uh, but usually we find a covenant that sort of uh, launches a new dispensation. So. New well, responsibilities as well. Yes, new responsibilities, new rules. That was, uh, I was taking Wes's word. So, yes, new responsibilities. Okay? So, we're going to start here in basically in Genesis 1, really Genesis 2, and see if we can outline the, 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 uh, the changes in the administration of God's single program. Now, we already said here uh, earlier that Paul identifies at least three. He talks about the dispensation of the church of God, uses the term, and this is and it, and it's something that is a mystery, something that he has been commissioned by God to reveal. So it's something that was not known prior to the New Testament. And so that implies then there were, that there was a previous dispensation, okay, the dispensation, we'll call it for now the dispensation of law, and we'll explain why we call it that uh, as we work through it. And then he also talks about the dispensation of the fullness of times in which Christ will be ruling uh, from his throne in Jerusalem, and uh, after a sort of a, a, a climax in history, in the form of a tribulation and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Okay, so those are the three that Paul identifies. And based on 
how he seems to define these dispensations, I think it's possible to identify a few more uh, that uh, really precede uh, the dispensation of law. And we know that law begins, by definition, 400 years after Abraham and runs to the cross. So the fact that there is time before Moses means there must have been some sort of an arrangement in place before the law. So, uh, so we're, we're going to see if we can't uh, tease out some of those as we work our way through it. So um, we're going to say that there are seven, nothing magical about that number. Uh, we're going to actually, after we go through the seven, we're actually going to entertain six or seven others that some have suggested uh, would be uh, uh, a possible candidates for being dispensations, and I'm going to give reasons why I, I wouldn't call them dispensations. Uh, but being a dispensationalist is not about the number, uh, that you have seven or six or eight. Uh, that's really incidental. It does seem like you have to have at least three, uh, because Paul specifies that. Uh, but uh, um, beyond that, it's probably not something that we're, that we're going to have to be uh, you know, sticklers on. So let's take a look at these. And as we go through them, what I'd like you to, to do here is stress two aspects of the work of God. First of all, as we've put on the board before, there is the overarching kingdom of God. This is God ruling as the sovereign of the universe over everything that he has created. That would include people, animals, plants, planets, angels, stars, moon, uh, heaven, everything in God's created universe, he rules as the sovereign. He always has, always will, he always does. Okay, that's God's, that is God's universal kingship, if we can call it that. There is, however, as we go through the dispensations, something else that's sort of underneath it, if I can put it here. And that is a relationship that God has with a special group of people. Now, that special group of people does not remain monolithic. Uh, it starts out as an elect nation and, and sort of evolves then in, in, in the New Testament with, a, with an elect people where every single one is redeemed. So there's differences as we go through it. But as we see here, there is, a, there is a kingdom that God has over the universe and a, a lesser kingdom, if we want to call it a kingdom, some sort of a relationship that God has specifically with his chosen people. Okay? And uh, along here, we'll, we'll, we'll find here that this is a, something of a, has a redemptive theme runs heavily through this one, not so much with this one. This is sort of a I can put it, it's a civic kingdom, okay? It's, it has to do with every aspect of life. Uh, it, 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 it's governments, it is, it is industry, it is, uh, you know, uh, all, of, all of the aspects of life. And in this, what we'll call the civil kingdom. And down here, we'll have what we'll call the redemptive kingdom. Now, uh, as we're going to see, the, the term kingdom might not be the best term to use just because... It is a specialized term in Scripture, but we'll use it for now uh, just as we, as we work our way through it. We're going to start here, first of all, with the opening arrangement, if I can put it that way. Okay, so here we are in Genesis 1. Well, we'll just put Genesis 1 to 2. 
not used to this chunk. Ah, so Gen we'll start here in Genesis 1 to 2, and we'll, we'll start here. I'm really good at this. We'll start here with what is effectively a reflection of the civic kingdom. Okay? There isn't a redemptive kingdom at this point because nobody needs to be redeemed. There's nothing wrong with Adam and Eve. Uh, they're they're uh, created in a state of unconfirmed holiness, so there's no need for redemption at this point. Okay, so we're going to see almost everything that uh, that occurs here in Genesis one two one to two has to do with this civic kingdom. Let's take a look at it here. The label that we're going to give it is the label of innocence, perhaps the worst title that's been given. Uh, of, of all the dispensations, this is probably the, the worst one, the worst title, uh, because when we're, when we're work, looking for a title, we're trying to look for something to describe how God administrates it, administrates that, uh, that thing. So innocence really doesn't communicate administration. It really says something about Adam and Eve and their, and their status before God. Okay? So, uh, perhaps we could call it, and we, honestly, uh, if, we, if we think about it, Adam and Eve weren't precisely innocent either. Uh, they were unconfirmed in their holiness. Uh, they were created very good. I mean, that's the description that's given at the end of Genesis 1, beginning of Genesis 2, that they were created very good. But clearly, they haven't been tested yet, uh, because they're tested in chapter 3, and they flop. Okay. Uh, but for now, they are not in a state of sin. They haven't sinned yet. And so far as it goes, they're very good. I think that, that includes morality. Some have called this the dispensations of works, okay? borrowing from covenant theology. The covenant theology talks about a covenant of works, remember, uh, that uh, God uh, made this arrangement with uh, his, his creatures and said, do these things and you will live. Adam didn't do these things, and so God didn't so much change the administration as he did change the, uh, the, uh, the people involved. So Jesus is the second Adam who picks up where the first Adam flopped, and he is the one who does the necessary works in order to earn heaven, and because of his infinite uh, nature, he is able to accomplish that not only for himself, but other to, for others who will attach themselves to him. Okay, so it's sometimes called a covenant of works, and, and it's at least possible, it's, it's something that we could at least entertain. But there's, there, there's a tension here. Uh, Adam would not... Uh, it's not that Adam would have been justified by mere obedience in this dispensation, but by faith in God as expressed in obedience. This is very important, because this is true in almost all of the dispensations. You're saved by faith in God as expressed with some expression of faith, but it's ultimately faith in God. So driving uh, an, in, uh, an artificial wedge here between this window of history and the rest of history seems to leave covenant theology open to two ways of salvation. You could have been saved by works, but that failed, and so now you're saved by grace. Uh, and I think that's, that's not exactly what we want to say. We are saved in every dispensation by faith. 
by faith in what God says. Now, God hasn't said much at this point. We're just getting started. There's very little that's been said up to this point. Uh, so, uh, uh, so Adam is told here, believe in the promises of God and, and believe God and do what he says. Okay? And then he details what we have to do. So how long does this last? Well, it's very short. It begins uh, with creation. Well, really the uh, sixth day of creation when man is created. And, and extends until the fall. Okay, and it's hard to know exactly how this is. It was at least several days because God had established a pattern of walking with Adam in the cool of the day, in the evening. So it has to be at least several days in order for this pattern to be established. Um, the, the, uh, the end of this dispensation is hard to determine. It seems that God would not, left, not have left Adam alone long in this situation of unconfirmed holiness without the testing uh, but uh, we, we really can't say uh, Adam's confirmation and holiness would have eventually occurred uh, 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 hypothetically if he had passed the test so if he had passed the test that Adam uh, gave to him uh, that, that Satan gave to him and he actually passed that with flying colors ostensibly then he would have been confirmed in holiness just as the angels are and that would have been pretty much the totality of, of the dispensational program Okay, Adam would have been preserved in holiness of course, the new revelation, we say they have to have new revelation to have a new dispensation. Of course, everything at this point is new. Uh, but specific revelation and responsibilities pertinent to Adam's role in the created order are delineated below in the administration and responsibilities. Okay. So, what is the administration? How does God run his universe during this time? Well, individual face-to-face accountability to God. Genesis 3.8. God walked with Adam in the garden and talked with him. It would be wonderful to know what those conversations entailed, uh, but they had lengthy conversations. And apparently, God was letting Adam know exactly how to, how to run the universe. I mean, he was the king. He was effectively the king of the universe. He says, you're, you're the one who's my representative. Be fruitful and multiply. Rule the earth over every single thing that I've given to you. Okay? It's all yours. Animals, fish, plants, the, the resources of the earth, it's all yours. So manipulate it to your, uh, to your, to your advantage and, and use it, rule over it. Okay, so uh, no doubt Adam, being a new creature himself, would say, what, what do I do first? You know, what do, how, do, how do I go about this? And I'm sure God was giving him some very practical instruction as, as to how to rule the universe. We also find here in Genesis 3, 6, uh, that there, excuse me, maybe I should say, yeah, that uh, should be 2, 6. Is that right? I'm not sure why I have Genesis 3, 6 here. Anyway, but we have the, uh, the male headship within the marriage bond, and we find here in, in the end of chapter 2, a uh, man shall leave his father and mother, be united with his wife, and they shall become one flesh, and they were supposed to fill the earth. Okay, so uh, there were the, the who, who, are the, who are the king and queen of the universe? Well, Adam and Eve, and this was supposed to multiply out. 
Uh, apparently here, we've also got a representative headship of the human race localized in Adam. Now, it's, let, let me, the reason I say this is because Paul seems to say this in Romans 5. Romans 5 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. There's a statement here that says, Adam sort of stood as a representative of us all. He failed to test and plunged all of us into sin. So he's, he's standing as the representative of the human race. Now, how much Adam knew of that is not completely clear. Uh, but that was, that was the arrangement. Uh, whether it was communicated or not, that was the arrangement. You, what, what you do, it means that the, uh, the, uh, the human race is going to rise and fall with you and, in fact, the entirety of creation. Because after the sin, what happens? All of creation cries out, uh, yearning and longing for the redemption of God's Son ever since the, ever since the fall. So, so everything hinges here on the decisions that Adam is going to make. So that's the administration. Accountability to God face-to-face, a, 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 a husband-wife team, and then this, this headship, this representative headship uh, by which the uh, fate of the whole human race would be determined. That's the administration. So what are the responsibilities? Well, we've already talked about some of these here. But I think we can summarize it all in this. Recognize the sovereignty of God. Recognize he is the creator. He is the ruler. He is the judge. He's the sovereign. Recognize this and obey him. Okay, Submit to him. Specifically, fill the earth. It's not replenish the earth. There's some who have suggested that that, I mean, that's the King James reading, replenish the earth. There's really no re there. It's plenish the earth or fill the earth uh, more, more precisely. It's not as though it was full and then became empty and just filled up again. So fill the earth. Subdue the earth. Uh, included here is extracting the earth's treasures, manipulating its resources for human advantage through the medium of the physical sciences. This is the dominion mandate. It's the only true basis for science and culture. Subdue the earth. Okay. Second, uh, thirdly here, rule the animals. The term here is a very forceful one. This actually, actually could be translated something like trample down. Allows the use of means to control, subdue, utilize these animals as zoological tools uh, for mankind. And then cultivate the garden. So we've got the physical sciences, the zoological sciences, and now we've got the agricultural and horticultural sciences. All of the sciences are included here, really. Included here, the advancement of horticulture to control, manipulate, manipulate, uh, and take advantage of the organic resources of the earth. And then... Uh, you were supposed to use these and have an have a vegetable diet. Um, the only negative statement here, the only negative responsibility that's there: don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, by eating of this tree, Adam and Eve would assume autonomy in the determining of good and evil. Okay, this is that that's that's the uh, that's the, the the nature of this tree. By taking this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you. Adam and Eve would know good and evil by experience. Okay? 
Up till this point, they have only known good by experience. By tasting of this tree, they would be basically putting themselves in the place of God, usurping his authority, and deciding, I'm going to be the one who's going to be my own ethical guide. Okay, I'm going to determine whether I can, what is right, what is wrong, whether I can eat or not. Okay? And pretty much most of all these things continue to the present day. So, as, as we're going to see, much of what starts here is, all, is going to keep going. In fact, we're going to see this throughout, as, as this is eventually going to fill the board here, not completely. Uh, but we find all of these things, you know, are, are, are largely continuing. The injunction to fill the earth is still there. Dominion mandate, the vegetable diet. Now that's, that's actually expanded in Genesis 9, but for now... That's, the, that's in place. The marriage bond is uh, as a heterosexual and permanent monogamous relationship is established here. In fact, Matthew 19 actually says the reason you know this is true because that's the way it has been from the beginning. And it still is that way, is the uh, statement that Christ makes in Matthew 19. Romans 1 then actually makes the, the opposite statement that those who engage in homosexual activity are doing something that we all should recognize is unnatural. It's not, it's not forwarding God's purposes for the universe. There's no fruitful and multiply in homosexual uh, arrangements, as we all recognize. Yes? Fill the earth means fill the earth with people, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. Fill the earth with people. Okay? And I think also we find that this structure of male headship is, is also established here and continues that way as well. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Timothy 2, there's, this, there's these, these uh, statements that there is, there is subordination uh, within the Godhead, and so there is subordination with, within the human race, and that results then in uh, men being placed in charge in the life of the church uh, as, as its officers, and the appeal is made back to here. Because Adam was created first, and Eve came from her, from him, and so this is this is this is apparently these are all continuing things. So this this arrow really extends all the way out to the end of the board here. What if, what if the man what the woman is? Uh, that, ultimately, it doesn't change here in the civic realm. Yes. In fact, that's the that's that's the that the point that Peter makes in First Peter three one. That if a woman has an unbelieving husband, what should she do? Well, the, the, it's, not, it's not to leave, but rather be as submissive as possible. And, and the statement here is that the husband may, in fact, be one without a word. Okay, that is, opportunities for the gospel may accrue because she's doing this right. And by doing this right, which we all know to be the right thing to do, this will actually create a platform and give opportunities for the gospel. It might not happen immediately. It might take years. And uh, it might never appear to show up. But that, that yeah, the, uh, the responsibility, that, that is, again, this is, iris- and, and, and here's a good place to put, we don't, we don't even have redemption here. Okay, redemption hasn't even started yet. Okay, but these rules, these ground rules are in place for the, for the successful uh, perpetuation of the original creation. Okay, so that's the first dispensation. 
Next dispensation, then, we call the dispensation of conscience, and this is a little bit better named, because Genesis 6-3 informs us that God's means of governing people during this dispensation is by, King James has, contending with man, okay? And the, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the term here is a little bit debated here. My spirit will not contend with man forever. The implication being that the Holy Spirit replaces the normative operation of God in the universe. Now, God still has conversations with people, so much so that uh, he has conversation, ongoing conversation with Enoch, uh, so profound and so deep that what happens Enoch disappears. You know, he, he, God takes him. Uh, so, so there's still these conversations that go on between God and individual persons, but that doesn't seem to be the norm any longer. Okay, the norm now is that there, the Holy Spirit is active in the consciences of of all people uh, separately. We we recognize even from from uh, Romans one that this that this is is something that we still have, right? We still have these consciences within us that are alternately defending or accusing us. We have the law of God written upon our, our hearts so that we recognize who God is and what his power is. We recognize what's right and wrong, and all of these things are there because of conscience. So this, this again, is something that will continue here, uh, this, this idea of conscience. Okay, so conscience is the way by which God governs the civil aspects of creation. Direct revelation diminishes. There are no civil structures or codified laws. There's no uh, actual ground rules here. Uh, there are no structures. There's no kings and queens and, and dukes and such. None of that is in place yet. Uh, God ruled man primarily by internal means. Okay. This starts immediately after the fall. Okay. Once God ceased conversing with man on a daily basis, conscience became the administrative structure. Okay. And it extends until Noah's flood when God says, I'm not going to do this any longer. I'm going to do something different. Okay. So what is the new revelation here? Well, the... the, the uh, so if we have dominion mandate here first, and this extends and expands a bit into conscience, now we need something down here because we need some means to get back into fellowship with God. Okay. So here's the fall. Conscience continues. But now we've got something starting here. Okay, so we can put it this way. We've got these continuation. Here's the fall, major element. Now we've got to have some means of having this redemptive unit begins. And so we have in Genesis 3 what's sometimes called the proto-evangelium or the first gospel. That's the, that's the term sometimes used there. And we find here the first gospel given in Genesis chapter 3. Um, I will put enmity, God says, between you, Satan, and serpent, and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. 
even though you will strike his heel. And so there's this promise here of a, of a crushing of the head of, sa- of Satan through the woman. Okay, so this is, I mean, it's a very primitive promise there. There's not much here, okay? Uh, in fact, as we're going to look through this, we're going to say uh, it looks as though Adam and Eve express faith in God, uh, but they do it in actually, pro- in, in some ways as we look at it, perhaps the wrong way. Adam is Adam expresses faith by naming his wife the mother of all living. So he has confidence that there is going to be an extension and expression of life. Even though the promise has been made, you do this, you'll die. He says, There's been a there's been a solution offered. And so Eve is the mother of life. Okay, and so he's he's expressing faith in the promise of God. As, as primitive as it is. Eve apparently also expresses some faith in God as well. Uh, she names her first child Cain with the announcement, I have gotten a child, the Lord. Okay, Literally, those are the words that are there. Now, most of your translations look at that and say, that can't be right, because we know Cain <laughs> was, was no, is, is, is no Messiah figure. Okay, And so she must have been making a mistake. And so they actually put in these words, I have received a child with the help of the Lord. Actually, uh, you know, if you, have a, if you have a King James, you find all those in slanted letters, because those words aren't there. Okay. I have received a child, the Lord. And, and uh, there, are, there are many commentators who would look at that and say, she actually is expressing faith that this seed of hers is the solution to the problem. Okay. Now she's wrong about that in one sense, because Cain was not the correct seed. It's not until Seth that we get to the uh, the father, and even he's not the seed itself. He's just the progenitor of the seed. But she seems to have this understanding that the child she bears is going to be a solution to the sin problem. Okay, and so she so she says as much. And so both of these express faith uh, because of this this promise. This proto-evangelium. Believe the promise of God and you'll live. You'll survive. Okay? So new revelation here is this promise, first of all, and primarily. There's also curses against the serpent and against mankind. There's enmity between Satan and Eve, enmity between the seed seed of Satan and the seed of the woman. Uh, For woman, there's going to be pain and discomfort associated with the reproductive process and a persistent dissatisfaction with male headship. I'm going to greatly increase your pain in childbearing and your desire will be for your husband. The idea here is your your, your desire will be to basically rule over your husband, that you actually rule the roost, but it's all going to turn on you because he's actually going to, he's going to actually push his thumb all the harder on you, and so it's going to be a bad relationship. Okay? So men will prove sometimes overbearing, even abusive, in their relationship with women. For men, the curse takes the form of stubborn resistance, not only from his wife, but from everything that God has given to him, both in the realm of his family and the realm of his work. 
including here the introduction of thorns and thistles that will make his agriculture and horticulture difficult. Okay? God's also active here in supplying other direct revelation in the absence of a completed canon. We have conversations that God has with individuals, but probably not with everyone, and probably not regularly. Okay? For Cain, he supplied some sort of a protective sign. What exactly that is is hard to know. This does not seem, however, to be the norm. The normal means of administration was internal. The Holy Spirit would be striving with men. So the new administration then is human conscience, and the new responsibility is express faith in the promise of God. And Adam and Eve apparently both did that. Abel, too, had a sacrifice that was accepted because it was offered up in faith. And so these are people who expressed faith in God, and uh, we know they, uh, they're, they're converted because they, they're actually included in, uh, in Hebrews, this, this uh, hall of faith that we have. Okay, yeah. Um, some of the functions of the Holy Spirit do, do begin in the New Testament, not all of them. We find, in fact, we find the Holy Spirit really in Genesis 1-2, the Spirit of God hovering over the water, maintaining the universe. Uh, so so he's, he's active, but some of the functions of the Holy Spirit don't come until the New Testament. So, right. So Yes, you have the Holy Spirit giving gifts, both miraculous and then gifts for the function of the church too, the ordinary gifts uh, that we have. So those are those are new things. But it's not as though he was just doing nothing in the Old Testament. So he's still got the function of of conscience here. So he's striving with men, contending with men. <clears throat> Continuing principles then, as we said, human conscience remains intact. It's warped by depravity, but it ceases to be the sole or primary means of divine administration after this dispensation ends. So there's, there's actually something that comes along to supplement it. Just as we had the dominion mandate, and it's supplemented by conscience, now it's going to be supplemented in our new dispensation by something else. Okay. But now we've got these two tracks going. We've got both tracks started here. So we move now to the third dispensation, or the dispensation we call human government. The reason we call it that is because after the flood, God says, I'm fed up, <laughs> if I can put it that way, I'm fed up with the, with the way man has been responding to their conscience, so I'm going to create structures that will function uh, to supplement or, or, or enhance uh, what the conscience is doing. He says there's going to be government, and the government here that's, that's set up is up to and including capital punishment. Whoever sheds man's blood by men collectively shall his blood be shed, because in the image of God made he man. So there's this idea that collective man was to create rules, create governmental structures, probably in this case clan structures, 
uh, that uh, that uh, would be led by some sort of a clan leader, and he would have rules uh, rules in place for his particular clan. Uh, these expand and and to something that we might even resemble kingdoms. Uh, there's quite a bit of time that takes place between here and the flood, and in fact people aren't dying off, they're living 900 years and so, so there's a lot of people that are suddenly populating the earth, so uh, there probably these clans are actually expanding into at least miniature kingdoms of, of a sort, okay? The duration of the dispensation begins, of course, in Genesis 9, 1 to 6, 1 to 7 really, and this is where uh, God establishes the Noahic covenant, okay? And the end of it really begins with the call of Abraham, where the funneling of the promise of, of this, this seed is funneled uh, through Abram. Okay, so if I can put it here, now we have the flood. So here's the fall, here's the flood. This is our marker here. We have sort of the establishment of civic structures formally, Okay. This is, this is where kings and kingdoms and governors and governors, everything points back to this event. So this is a very important point. This is the formalization, if I can say it, of the civic kingdom here. Okay? From this point on, human government reigns. In fact, it's going to continue all the way to the end. Okay? So human government takes place. There's really nothing new here. So we'll just put a dotted line there uh, just to, to carry it forward. But there's really nothing new as far as re the God's redemptive plan. There's nothing, no new, new promises. There's no new information about how people can be right with God. It's, it's, nothing changes. You just believe in the promises of God. Okay. So the new revelation, spirit striving with men. God institutes capital punishment to be inflicted by the corporate will of man, which results in attention directed towards the grandeur and sovereignty of God and the accountability of man to God. So it does highlight the fact that man got a problem. And so it, it, it just as the law is going to increase sin, so this, in some senses, is increasing sin too. Okay? It's making people increasingly aware of the fact that they've got a problem, a very serious problem, and it's not going away. Okay? In fact, it may be worsening. Okay? God also, in Genesis 9, places the fear of man in animals and gives man permission to eat them. Okay? It's hard to know exactly why this happens now. Some would suggest that after the flood... The, uh, the, uh, the, the universe was just ravaged by this flood to such a degree uh, that they really couldn't get, get the uh, growing cycle back started um, and, uh, in fact, probably would have had an ice age in the northern hemisphere uh, with the, with the uh, idea here that when the flood occurred, it would have been during the... Uh, during the uh, during the winter months in the northern hemisphere, and so we've got an ice age that would start. This is, of course, where they are. They're in they're in Ararat, which is in probably in uh, in just uh, just east of Turkey. Uh, it's probably a very cold, inhospitable place, and so they 
probably would have had trouble functioning by just eating plants at first. Trees aren't growing yet, so anything that grows on trees isn't available. Uh, they'd have to be uh, they'd have to be working with stuff that'll grow quickly, um, and so God gives them then permission to to eat the animals, and that's something that continues. Okay, um, now we're going to find some adjustments in that, you know, because we're going to find that there's certain that during during the Mosaic period, there's certain animals you can't eat that become then fair game again, unintended, uh, in, in, in Acts 2, in Acts, Acts 9, where Peter says you can start eating anything again, okay? But, uh, but the fact is they're allowed to eat. That's one of the new rules here, that they can eat animals. And because you can start eating animals, God actually tries to create some sort of a balance in the uh, in the universe, by saying the the animals are actually going to flee from you now, otherwise you hunt them out of existence. So uh, that's why uh, that's why it's hard to go hunting sometimes. Okay, you had a question. By the end of Adam's life, <clears throat> the downward thing we see in Romans one was already in full force by the end of Adam's life. Sure. Although he was saved, uh, most uh, uh, or most of his posterity wasn't. Right. In fact, by the time we get to Noah, what's the statement? Noah's the only one who finds grace in the eyes of the Lord because everybody else, every single person on the planet has, has, has abandoned God. So, yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, new administration, well, these corporate political structures, and there's a question here as to whether corporate religious structures are, are in place here as well. It's hard to know. Uh, we do seem to see uh, that uh, the clan leaders are somehow functioning as family priests. Uh, we find that, for instance, Abraham is offering sacrifices for his children, Job, who probably lives during this period, is offering sacrifices for his children. Melchizedek is described here as a priest of the Most High God, offering sacrifices for his city, or his, you know, his, and probably not a huge city, but he, he rules in Jerusalem, the largest city-state in, in the region. And so he's functioning as a priest. Why they started operating this way is not clear. We don't actually have biblical revelation as to why they started doing this but apparently God is pleased with it. Uh, otherwise, we would expect him to say, don't do this. Uh, but uh, uh, I put a question mark just because we just don't have the revelation to, to pinpoint exactly what's going on here. So new responsibilities then. Man was to mutually rule his fellow man, governing the earth with orderliness and righteousness, protecting the sanctity of life uh, with the uh, death penalty, and draw attention to man's responsibilities and accountability to God. Continuing principles, well, really everything here, governmental structures ordained by God so that people will seek him. That continues on to the present day. Uh, same in Romans, uh, Acts 25, 1 Peter 2. We find that this, this government continues on, this human government that's established here uh, is, is, is a perpetual thing. Okay? So if this is the formalization, then, of the civil kingdom, what comes next, then, is the formalization of, if I can say it, the redemptive kingdom, the redemptive arrangement that God is making, and that is in the dispensation of promise. 
Explanation of the term, well, it's, that seems to be the feature uh, that is very prominent here. God makes a promise to Abraham, reiterates it to Isaac, reiterates it to, to Jacob, reiterates it again to Joseph and the people as they go down into, into Egypt, and it's, and it's, and it's uh, uh, consulted again when they come back out. Okay, so this, this promise is made. This is, this is advancing the revelation of God here in the form of a promise. Okay? And these promises funnel the promise given by Adam through, this, through to the seed of Abraham and signal, I say here, a fundamentally new arrangement whereby men could be rightly related to God. You couldn't simply be rightly related to God by obeying your conscience or obeying human government. You actually had to be right with God by being right with Abraham's family. Okay. So we have here this dispensation starts here with the call of Abraham and the giving of a promise. It was publicized to the world through the events surrounding Melchizedek. We actually have nine kingdom kings come together and do battle. And then they go their separate ways. But before they do, uh, we have this this strange and, and eerie incident uh, where Melchizedek sort of appears out of nowhere. Uh, everyone sort of looks at him as sort of the lead city state in the in the region. And so they and so even Abraham offers a, a tenth of the spoils of war to Melchizedek. But Melchizedek sort of turns around and says, "You're the man, Abraham. Okay, you the man." And then he disappears. In fact, that's sort of the, what we find in Hebrews, right? That, uh, that we don't know anything about Melchizedek. He has no father or mother, as far as we know of, has no descendants that we know of. Uh, his sole function seems to be a pointer at Abraham. Okay? He points to Abraham, and Abraham is, is sort of the whole world. Nine kingdoms are aware suddenly that this Abraham was a special guy in God's program. And so the, the promises of the Abrahamic covenant are, are dispersed uh, to the rest of the world through these nine kingdoms. Now, these nine kingdoms um, are probably not the full weight of the countries represented, but they're actually large kingdoms represented. Assyria, I mean, a huge, huge kingdom uh, uh, that, that's represented, other, other kingdoms as well. And so uh, these apparently little kinglets apparently go back to their people uh, so that the world would have known uh, that this, this, uh, this, the arrangement uh, has shifted. Okay, so the dispensation then continues until God radically expands his expectations for Abraham and his seed under the Mosaic law. Okay, and, and, a, and a nation is established. Okay, so the new revelation, the Lord says to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, your father's household. Go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will make you a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse, such that all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. So we've got an established here an ethnic people of God who have a specific land and... and uh, and blessings attached to them. And in fact, we've actually got universal blessings uh, coming through them. So it's, it's, a, it's a blessing not only for Abraham and his seed, but 
to everyone who will be rightly related to this Abraham who's already functioning in primitive form as the priest for the nations. Okay, he, he's, he's starting up this kingdom of priests, which will be his own children, his own progeny, that would function as a kingdom of priests for the nations. Okay? Now, what's going on here is there's nothing really new that's happening here. You know, Abraham is not going to be the king of the world. That's pretty clear. Uh, he's, uh, uh, national distinctions will continue. In fact, these nations are mentioned over and again. But the whole world, severally governed, was to recognize Abraham as the conduit of God's redemptive blessings, honoring him as the exclusive means to salvation. Okay? And so even though there's nothing really new going on with how things are governed, these people have to honor Abraham in order to receive redemptive blessing. And so, redemptive blessing then funnels through Abraham, and he's ultimately going to receive from his own loins the, uh, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, the person of Jesus Christ, who would be the ultimate completion of that promise. Okay? New responsibilities then? Well, the new responsibilities are for, for Abraham and his seed, believe in the promise, as detailed now, in the Abrahamic covenant. And there's a lot more details now than there used to be. Receive the rite of circumcision as a sign of this covenant. Okay, so this is a, this is a new, it's, it's, this religious structures now have rites attached to them, R-I-T-E. Maintain purity from the nation. So he's not, so they're not supposed to merge. In fact, he's to maintain purity from these. Uh, that, that's, that's made clear in multiple cases. And then all mankind are to believe in God's promise as detailed in the Abrahamic covenant by blessing Abraham and his seed as a means to continued blessing both now and in the future. And I don't think this is only pointing to Jesus Christ as the, as the fulfillment of promise, but also there's an immediate fulfillment of promise. If you honored Abraham's seed, if you honored Israel... God would honor those nations as well. And we see this as, as we work our way through the Old Testament, that those who, who treated Israel well flourished. Those who treated them poorly didn't. Okay. Continuing principles, though the ethnic people of God has been temporarily set aside in the present dispensation, we're going to talk about that, the promises are going to continue intact because the promises, the gifts and promises of God are irrevocable, Romans eleven twenty nine says. So whatever of these promises has not yet been received in history will be received somewhere down here. has to be that way. Okay, because the gifts and promises of God are irrevocable. And then this promise of justification by faith is not annulled by the giving of the law, but continues to the present age. So we find that Abraham was justified not by works, but by faith. His faith was credited to him as righteousness. And this arrangement, this, this arrangement is something that continues uh, to the present day. Okay? So we've gotten through four of them so far. Uh, so I'm going to line through here. And we'll, we'll put this 
Abraham. Next, we're going to come to our next major element here, and this is, well, for, the, for lack of a better word, we'll just put M for Moses. Um, it's more complex than that. Uh, but we're going to at least, we'll just, we'll just get a, a start on this, uh, but then we'll continue it. Hopefully, do you know if this, this room used like on Sundays? Not, that, not right now. Okay, so can I keep, do you know if I can keep my... Yes, I'm the one that usually take, cleans it off, so I'll cool. leave it up this way. Okay, that'll be good. <laughs> Okay, so our next dispensation, which we're not going to, to complete tonight, but at least we can get a tantalizing, well, maybe we can, we'll see. Um, explanation of the term, this dispensation of law. The law is, is, we use the name law because that's the administrative feature. That is the means by which God administrates his universe. It's the governing instrument of the theocratic kingdom that begins at Mount Sinai. That's when Israel receives her national identity, and her law. Okay, so she becomes a theocratic republic, if I can put it that way, if that's, if that's a fair way of saying it. He gives them a law by which they are to be governed. At the same time, God still rules over, over the people personally. So the dispensation of law, the most comprehensive dispensation of this point, it takes several books of the Bible to detail all the information that we need to know about this uh, particular dispensation, and that we're not going to look at all of it. Okay, it not only provides a political uh, uh, and legal code with a human ruler standing in the place of God, but also religious structures. Okay, and so we have something interesting going on here. These merge. Okay. At least for this window of time, we find that the civil and the religious structures are bound up together under one law in one kingdom. Okay? And so we have king and we've got priests. Now, they're never the same person. That doesn't happen to the millennium, right? At the same time, we have both of these sort of bound up together. Even We talk about even the tithes. The tithes are not... Uh, we, you know, we, sometimes we wonder, should, are we supposed to tithe today? Is that something that the church is supposed to do? Is that something that continues? Well, the fact is that this tithe is somehow supporting, is supporting both halves. Okay? It's not only supporting the religious structures, like, like our offerings do today, but they're, they're also, also uh, supporting the civic structures. Uh, that is, uh, some of the, the social welfare programs, uh, the, uh, when, when, there was, there, when there's a need for uh, a king to, to build a temple or build himself a, uh, a, a, a palace or to, to raise an army temporarily, uh, this took money and so it came out of those tithes. You know, that, that's, that was the funding uh, for uh, this, this kingdom. Now what is 10%? What's that? A tithe of 10%. Well, tithe, the, t- the word tithe actually means 10%. They actually had three separate tithes that were given. Um, um, two of them were given on an annual basis. The one was uh, was given on a triannual basis. So they ultimately gave something in the neighborhood of 23% of their income to this structure. And so the question then is, okay, well, what about now? Well, it's interesting we don't find mention of tithes in the New Testament because we've got a completely different structure, a, a whole different system. And so God institutes uh, what, what we might call grace giving 
Um, and the, in fact, one of the statements he said is, you don't give out of necessity any longer. These people gave out of necessity. They were required by the law to give 23% of their income. We no longer give out of necessity now. Uh, I mean, so the tithe that we give to the government today is... <laughs> It's more than a tithe. <laughs> we don't have to do it. Well, yes. but actually, but actually, what it does, it does sort of give us a hint as to what what we've got to do. If it takes twenty three percent to run the whole thing, it might give us some indication then of how much it's, it should it should cost to run the government and the church together. Um, now, again, there's no. There's no rule on the exact amount you have to give in the New Testament. Uh, at the same time, we all we all can look at the budgets and recognize that, you know, if in order to make the church move forward, the building get paid for, their officers get get paid, and and the mission move forward, there does have to be a substantial uh, amount of giving by its people. Uh, it can't be. Uh, we can't just tip the church, you know, give five dollars a week and think we're pat ourselves on the back. That doesn't really seem to work in the present model. But, but God doesn't actually give a specific amount of money. Okay. So that's law. It's not. It doesn't mean that the rest of the the rest of the the uh, arrangement didn't have laws. But the law becomes the mosaic law becomes the governing feature of this dispensation, everything's governed. Moral, civic, political, cultic, everything is governed by this law. Okay? And it runs, in fact, Galatians 3.17 says that the law was put into place 400 years after Moses, and it continues until Christ. So this is the most specifically defined of all the dispensations here. Starts 400 years after Abraham, continues until Christ. Okay, so that's, and that's, that's the whole of it. Okay, new Revelation, well, really, books and books of it. The new administration, Israel, was to be a theocratic state, complete with comprehensive legal code, provisions for a ruler, provision from, for direct revelation from God through prophets and an urim and a thumim. And then not only Israel, but the whole world was to exercise faith as expressed through the Levitical cultus, including all of its sacrifices and annual feasts necessary to the expression of true reconciliation with God. And there were provisions made, so I'll put a dotted line here, because not everybody did what they were supposed to do in, in being properly related to the kingdom. So that's continuing up here. Uh, at the same time, if they want to be right with God, they have to go through Israel. Okay, that's the only, that's the only, only means. Okay? And we're going to have to cut it off here because we're out of time. But do we 